0: Hey, everybody, this is Cristel Alonso, and you are listening to the Pixar Podcast. Check it out. To
1: infinity and beyond! So, uh, how long is this gonna take? Squirrel, you can't
2: rush out. No, you. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. What's the point of going out there? They'll only laugh at me. Stranger, from the outside. Ready? <laughs>
1: Hello there Pixar fans, welcome again to another episode of the Pixar Podcast. This is episode number 143, thepixarpodcast.com slash 143 is where you can find the show notes for this episode. I'm Derek Clements, and today, the final episode of the Pixar Podcast. Don't
3: go in there, the bakery is haunted. Shh, are you crazy? You'll wake up all the ghosts. Look out, the ghosts are throwing pies.
1: That's right, this is the final episode of the podcast, and we have a lot to talk about.
0: Andy? Hi. Wow, look at you. (laughs) I hear you're off to college. Yeah, right now, actually.
1: It's been many months now since the last episode of the podcast, and that episode was about Cars 3, which at this point is not even Pixar's latest film. I missed a whole movie, and there's kind of two categories of reasons behind my hiatus. The first category, I moved. As I was getting ready to cover Coco on the podcast, I moved to Houston, Texas, and my plans were a little bit upended when the week my wife, Katie, and I were packing and ready to go, Hurricane Harvey hit. So long story short, for several months, the podcast was on the back burner as I was scrambling a bit, attending to some more immediately pressing personal needs. But... Then, just as things were winding down with me, and I was getting ready and excited to release my first Coco-related episodes of the podcast, something else happened.
0: Well, he is the genius behind blockbuster films like Toy Story and Frozen. Now Pixar chief John Lasseter is apologizing for sexual misconduct.
3: John Lasseter will take an extended leave of absence after allegations of sexual misconduct. After acknowledging painful conversations and unspecified missteps.
0: Unspecified missteps. In a memo obtained by The Hollywood Reporter, Lasseter stated, in part, it's been brought to my attention that I have made some of you feel
1: disrespected or uncomfortable. That was never my intent. On November 21st, 2017, Kim Masters at The Hollywood Reporter broke a story that John Lasseter would be leaving Pixar for six months after sending an email to employees in which he acknowledged painful conversations and unspecified missteps, including unwanted hugs. As you might imagine from the person who makes the Pixar podcast, I was devastated by this news. My admiration for John Lasseter was enormous. I mean, listen to what I said on another podcast in September 2017.
2: Okay, well, that's the only question, but I do have to ask you what you think your spirit celebrity is. (laughs) Or your celebrity Uh... doppelganger.
1: I would probably say, well, the one that comes into my mind automatically is John Lasseter, the, uh, the, uh, the director of a lot of Pixar movies and the sort of leader of Disney and Pixar animation. Just everything I can see about his personality um, kind of matches with everything that I've always been my whole life. So love John Lasseter. There you go. I have one more question for you, Court. When the story about the allegations broke, there weren't a lot of details. It was a little unclear what John Lasseter was apologizing for in his email statement to employees. One fact that was especially puzzling to me was the timing. The email to staff was dated November 21st. The U.S. release date of Coco, November 22nd. Of course, nobody at Pixar or Disney chose for the story to come out when it did, about a month after the downfall of Harvey Weinstein, which sort of kicked off the Me Too movement. But the fact that John Lasseter would acknowledge missteps and announce a six-month leave of absence the day before the U.S. release of a big Pixar movie made me wonder if there were more details of this story that would yet come out. Now, in April 2018, we're about a month away from the scheduled end of John Lasseter's leave of absence. And I don't think the story is going away. Here's a clip from Variety backstage at the Golden Globes, where Darla K. Anderson, Lee Unkrich, and Adrian Molina spoke with reporters after their Best Animated Feature win.
2: I do have to ask a very sort of serious question. You know, this whole this whole event is reflecting the impact of this incredible outpouring of accusations that have really rocked this industry. Uh, Pixar has not been untouched by. Uh, allegations of of a environment that, that could be difficult for women can you talk about has anything has there been any changes at Pixar can you talk about that sort of going through that experience even within your own company
3: yeah I'm um,
0: tonight obviously we wanted to focus on uh, being in solidarity with uh, tonight's movement and um, <laughs> and um, and uh, uh, and we have been looking at a lot of things, that are, at making our environment as safe as possible and, and with as much integrity as possible, for sure. Um, it, was, uh, it was really vital to all of us. And, and you know, Darla is, the, is kind of the, the general of our army, being the producer of the film. From the very beginning, um, you know, we tried to create an environment that really welcomed as many diverse voices as possible. Uh, Not only through the consultants that we brought in but through the crew that we assembled Um, it was a very diverse crew and we're proud of that and um, We believe that all of those voices that we brought together really did help make uh, The movie as successful as it was Um, And so yes moving ahead, you know, we're learning from the you know, the the lessons of what we did on Coco and uh, as it's clear from everything going on in the industry, we, we all can improve, we can all be better. And at Pixar, we have been taking steps and we will continue to move towards uh, making it an even better uh, place for people to create art.
1: As someone who cares so much about Pixar and the work of John Lasseter, this is a really tough moment. Have to say, it kind of punctured my enthusiasm for covering Coco, a movie I absolutely loved and that I wish didn't have this cloud around it. But it would have felt disingenuous for me to celebrate that enthusiasm with so many questions still unanswered, with John's leave of absence still scheduled to be temporary, and with Toy Story 4 still on the calendar to be released. Because if there was a cloud around Coco, the Cloud Around Toy Story 4 is going to be even worse. That's a film that John stepped down from as director, and which lost Rashida Jones and Will McCormack as writers early in the process. You may know the two writers from their first film together, Celeste and Jesse Forever. I mostly know Rashida Jones from her roles on The Office and Parks and Recreation.
0: And Perkins. Hi everyone.
1: The initial reporting of the John Lasseter story in The Hollywood Reporter included a detail about the behind the scenes of Toy Story 4 that explained why Jones and McCormick left the project. After The Hollywood Reporter story broke, the writing pair then told the New York Times that the exact reasoning for them leaving Toy Story 4 given in The Hollywood Reporter story was, quote, untrue. But they did elaborate in a more detailed comment that has resonated with me more than any other part of this story. For me, processing and thinking hard about this statement has caused me to ultimately decide to end the Pixar podcast and transform it into something else entirely. I'm going to read most of that statement. After rejecting the specific allegation in the Hollywood Reporter story about why the two writers left Toy Story 4, a detail that I'm intentionally leaving out of my report here because they denied it, the two writers continued, quote, that said, we are happy to see people speaking out about behavior that made them uncomfortable. As for us, we parted ways because of creative and more importantly, philosophical differences. There is so much talent at Pixar and we remain enormous fans of their films. But it is also a culture where women and people of color do not have an equal creative voice, as is demonstrated by their director demographics. Out of the 20 films in the company's history, only one was co-directed by a woman and only one was directed by a person of color. We encourage Pixar to be leaders in bolstering, hiring, and promoting more diverse and female storytellers and leaders. We hope we can encourage all those who have felt like their voices could not be heard in the past to feel empowered. That statement from Rashida Jones and Will McCormick basically summarizes my personal feelings about Pixar right now. Whatever John Lasseter has done, it doesn't change the fact that Pixar movies are made by a ton of hugely talented, good people. I will always support artists who make things that genuinely make the world better. And I believe a ton of such artists are still at Pixar, working hard every day on their films. I think Coco, in particular, was an example of the studio making an honest and effective effort to have a more diverse creative team. I'm excited about that progress, and I have no plans to stop telling the stories behind art like that. But I'm no longer comfortable telling those stories in the context of something called the Pixar podcast. In other words, in a context where the default assumption is that the company itself is the thing I'm celebrating. That's why, going forward, I'm starting a new show. And at the end of this episode, I'll share with you the first taste of that new show. I hope you'll check it out. And I hope that my relationships with folks still doing great work at Pixar will be able to continue in this new endeavor. You think you can take care of him for me? Okay, then. I just want to say, I have loved doing the Pixar podcast so much. When I started it in the summer of 2010, I had no idea what lay ahead for the show. But it has been both a personal and professional highlight of my life. I'm so grateful for the folks who listened to any episode of the show, the people who came on as guests, and the people at Pixar who have worked with me to tell these stories. I will look back on these 143 episodes with fondness and gratitude. But it's not the end yet. There's still a ton to do in this last episode, so let's get to it.
4: Remember me,
2: though I have to say goodbye, remember me.
1: Next up on today's episode, I'm going to, finally, share two conversations with friends I recorded in the weeks before Coco was released in theaters in the U.S. The first conversation was recorded at the movie theater immediately after the press screening of the film. It features Davey Morrison-Dillard and Bianca Morrison-Dillard. And the next conversation was over Skype with my friend Robbie Pierce, who also saw an advanced screening of the film. In these two conversations, we dive deep into the film and analyze and discuss what we thought of Coco. But before I play those conversations, I have one more piece of unfinished business. In the last episode of the podcast, yes, I still remember, I teased that in the next one, I would play sound from my interaction with Larry the Cable Guy at a Cars 3 press conference in Los Angeles last year. You, sir. So true to my word, I will play that for you now. Derek Clements with the Pixar Podcast. For Larry, you have had, Mater has been the focus of Cars 2 and a lot of shorts. Um, in, this, in this film, he's a little bit less in the spotlight, and I just wondered if you were a little bit sad about that.
4: I think Mater's got a good role in this. Mater does what he's supposed to do. You know, just when you're about to cry, Mater says something stupid, and then you laugh again. So there you go. <laughs> no, Mater, there's no, there's no Cars without Mater. That's what it's all about.
3: It's about McQueen and Mater and their, what's going on in their lives. And uh, I don't care if Mater's got one line. If Mater's Mater, he'll always be Mater. So,
4: um, no, so, awesome. I mean, I, you're getting me for confused for somebody that really, you know, I mean, I, I'm in a Pixar movie. I mean, that's flipping awesome, dude. You know,
2: why would I care? <laughs> I think I
1: mentioned last episode that I was a little bit embarrassed about how that interaction went down, but there it is. Now, on to the main part of today's program, a deep dive discussion into Pixar's 19th feature film, Coco. And be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear a sneak peek of what I'm up to next. All right. Well, I am here in front of the uh, Regal Metropolitan Theater, I think, in Austin. Um, And want to welcome back uh, to the podcast, Davey Morrison-Dillard. Hello, Davey. Hey. Uh, Was the last time you were on reviewing Finding Dory? Does that sound right? I think so, yeah. Okay. And we also want to welcome a new to the Pixar podcast. Would you introduce yourself, please?
3: My name is Bianca Morrison-Dillard. Whoa, that's a similar name. Yes. (laughs) Mysterious. (laughs)
1: Um, So you two are married. Siblings. (laughs) We siblings
2: <laughs> we're married siblings <laughs> yeah that's okay
1: um and and you and you're both filmmakers we've talked on the podcast about um the filmmaking stuff that you do davy but you two do filmmaking together you're co-creators and things like that and so it's great to uh have you both on the podcast and to discuss Coco. Um, And yeah, so we're just going to kind of talk about the film. We just saw it together um, and we haven't really talked about it that much as we walked out of the theater. Um, So we'll kind of share our reactions and then listeners later in the episode, we're going to hear from another uh, person named Robbie Pierce, and he's going to help review the show as well. But for now, let's start. Bianca, what did you think about Coco? Coco?
3: I liked it so much. Um, I was kind of skeptical at the beginning, like the idea of like pitting family against like following your passions, mm. um, that it would like resolve in a way that wouldn't make me cranky. Yeah. And it, I feel like it really paid off, like um, in a way that I wouldn't have ever expected. Yeah. Yeah. Nice.
1: Well, well, we can get into that. So Davey, what, what are your initial thoughts?
2: Yeah, that's something I really loved about it, too, is, um, I mean, I don't know, Bianca and I are in the arts, and, uh, when you're working in the arts, or trying to work in the arts, that's a real, like, concern, at least is for me, and a real pressure, and a thing that's kind of constantly there is the, that tension between, um, pursuing a career, and uh, having a family and being there for your family. And uh, and I really love that this movie, that that felt very present and that felt like it was um, dealt with from a really real, genuine, uh, heartfelt place. And that both of those things were validated without necessarily um, both, you know, loving and caring for and being for your, there for your family and also, you know, these characters pursuing their love and passion for music, that both those things were honored without necessarily alleviating that tension that mm-hmm. is there. Um, and that was really powerful for me. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, and I think, like, the fact that, like... Um, that he was able to like use his passion and his talent in a way that helped his family um, was really lovely that it wasn't just about his family, like accepting him, which is where I thought it was probably going, but that he was able to, it was a generative thing um, both for him and for his family that um, all the pieces sort of fit together in a way that, that everyone could you know, be generative to each other. Yeah. Oh,
1: those are, those are great thoughts. Yes. And I agree. I, I love the movie as well. Um, and I, I want to bring, mentioned the beginning of the of the movie I love the way the sort of initial story the backstory is told with this and and um, you see you see it in this in this paper animation that's just gorgeous it's like beautiful to look at and it's like two-dimensional but then the, the camera kind of shifts around the the paper and it like becomes three-dimensional two-dimensional things it's really just a lovely thing and then it, it ends with that segment of the movie ends with a nice joke about like I just came here for a shoe shine I, I didn't want your whole life story <laughs> which is a nice way to wrap up a little expository segment of a film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you have Miguel uh, as kind of the main character of this uh, film. And his family had uh, a, a rift in, in its past. His great-great-grandfather abandoned the family for his uh, pursuit of music. And uh, and ever since then, the, the family that remained hates music now. Um, and... I I love how they, so they've replaced it basically with shoemaking and and shoes are constantly like a weapon like weaponized by like the the matriarchs of this family they're constantly like beating people with with shoes as a way of like putting people in their place which <laughs> and the movie's kind of full of these little touches like that that um these sort of symbolic things I noticed also so the um the petals uh, uh, are kind of laid out so that the ancestors can come back uh, to to find their way. And and there's when Miguel first kind of runs away from his family, he runs on the petals, kind of like he's going on the exact opposite path, like away from his family. So little things, kind of just like that, that I thought were really nice, little thematic, um, sort of symbolic touches that that made it really, really lovely.
2: Stop it, wait up. You gotta stay
3: with me, boy. We
1: don't know where. Okay, what else, what else, what else is on your mind?
3: Uh, I liked that, so I come from a, a single parent, like, matriarchal home. Like, all of the men in our family have, like, left or, like, been abusive uh, and so, like, it, it's always been the women who have, like, sort of carried the family. Yeah. And it's often been a very, like, practical thing. And I appreciate that they were very, like, uh, that they were empathetic and that it was uh, it, it was an empowering place that these women were coming from. Um, yeah, I didn't feel like... I, I feel like it would have been very easy to say, like... I mean, I think that, like, their stance on music was unhealthy. Yeah. And I don't think that the movie shied away from that at the same time that it showed these women as, like, people who are making good choices for their family. Um, And so I appreciate that they they honored that. um, And I'm glad that it, I don't know, I'm glad that it resolved the way that it did because I think that it could have, like, resolved in a way that that disempowered that matriarchy. Yeah. Um, right. and I don't think that, for me, at least, it didn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, all the characters in the family are flawed in their perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I think that that helps, um, yeah, Miguel, um, you know, loves his family, but he's constantly rebelling. I love, I love when, um, he initially, so he, he goes into the land of the dead and then he gets the blessing to go back on the condition that he won't do music anymore. And then literally,
3: (laughs) immediately,
1: (laughs) no question. Uh Is he going to disregard that? But
3: did you want him to? (laughs) No, no. Yeah, no,
1: but just, yeah. And, and then, you know, the, the family, um, hates music. And to this point that it's, it, you know, it's actually, it, that is, the cause of the tension at the end of the, of like the conflict of the the, 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 true conflict of the movie is, you know, you know, or not true, the true conflict, but like a big conflict toward the end of the movie is, yeah, wow, because we've forgotten this part of our family, like some, some, that part of that person is really going to suffer, uh, which is, yeah. And, and Hector, you know, also is super flawed and the, the, all these characters are just so, beautiful and rich
2: and 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 interesting they're all really well designed too like the the women in the family i i was thinking a lot about miyazaki movies as the movie was beginning with the design of the grandmother and the great grandmother characters specifically i feel like the the way they looked and i thought about that throughout the movie i i think it for me it's the I think prettiest animation in any Pixar movie. The color palette is just really beautiful and the the detail in the world, like it reminded me of actually being in Disneyland, like the <laughs> level of detail in, like it felt like a really immersive fantasy world in a way that feels unusual to me, the the level of detail. And also, but what also reminded me of Miyazaki is um, there are, there is a bad guy in this movie, uh, but most of the antagonistic figures in this movie wind up being understandable and redeemed, and, uh, most of the conflict in the movie is resolved through empathy and people understanding each other and, like, uh, and bonding with each other, which I feel like is a a very Miyazaki kind of thing, um... And I really loved that about this movie. I thought I thought it worked really well.
3: Yeah, speaking of the design, I really loved the, the character design, the fact that there were different, like, body types and facial uh-huh. types, that, um, you know, that there were, like, short people and tall people and, like, no like nobody necessarily looked like a movie star except for the movie star yeah
2: yeah, yeah they didn't even look like pixar movie stars most of them like yeah, i feel yeah, like exactly. like disney movies and pixar movies each have sort of a distinctive like Ardman does this too you know where you look at any of those movies and they have a very distinctive sort of template for characters and that is still true of this movie but they're You see so many more different faces and bodies in this than you do in most Pixar movies. Yeah, and Miguel, I love his design. It's
1: a really appealing character, and I love the one dimple, too. Like, that's just a nice little touch that makes it really personal. Um, And the thing about the shapes and different shapes and sizes is so hilarious and awesome because they're skeletons. A lot of these characters are skeletons, which, like, no matter what different shapes and sizes people are in, in life... You know, skeletons are often ra- rather similar to each other. <laughs> so, so these characters, you know, could have been designed really like similarly, right? But I love the, the these ridiculous like stretching of like b- human bones. to we're like, these are not the same species, actually. I'm pretty yeah, sure, <laughs> but it works so well to just like create this this nice like pack of, of characters that is so fun to watch. Um, and also, along with the design, I want to comment on the design of the world, too. Um, this, this world is amazing. And, and um, I don't know that I would have picked up on this um, the first time seeing it because I don't really dwell on it in the, in the film. Um, but the, the towers are like designed kind of with history in mind. Like So at the very bottom of the bases of these towers in the Land of the Dead, it's like Aztec. Ruins and stuff, and then as it go, as you go up the towers, these huge like wind, winding, crazy uh, towers. It like kind of moves up in time. It's like evoking the idea that you're building upon the past and stuff like this, which is so beautiful. Um, and then I noticed like so having that knowledge coming in, noticing. Ernesto de la Cruz's cat like tower in uh, the Land of the Dead is just completely his own artifice. It's this this thing that he constructed out of his own ego and his own like wealth. Uh, it's it no, none of it is actually built or rooted in anything real. In fact, when when underneath it, it's just this big empty uh, yeah. you know, like nothingness underneath
3: yeah it's it's also like black and white like like the the rest of the uh, world is so colorful and so vivacious um, and and his like tower and his character design is all like black and white and like void of of that richness that we get yeah. through yeah through family and differences and that's cool yeah.
1: So I took some notes um, in in the movie, or I was going to, um, but I just after the movie ended, I looked at my notebook to see what I had written down. And I, I, the first thing I had written down was a quick little um, genealogical sketch of <laughs> the family members. I was like, okay, wait, what's what's Mama Abuelita? What, 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 what is uh, Coco? Here goes Coco. What are the, what's the order of these? And so I just quickly jotted that down. And then the next note I did happened to be the last note before I was just completely sucked into the movie and didn't write any other notes. And the note that I wrote. Was that and that note that I wrote was just the word bell, um, because because
0: really,
2: <laughs> <good>. oh, man.
1: <laughs> Early in this movie, you get what might be my favorite Pixar joke, or you know, piece of shocking humor, which is <laughs> which is that this this hero, this like character that we that we're supposed to love and 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 that he admi- that Miguel admires so much, is suddenly crushed by a large bell and dies.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And it's because he's so, like, loved and adored that that happens, which is pretty good.
2: It's pretty great. (laughs) Something I loved about this movie is it felt like it had a different personality and sense of humor to me than any other Pixar movie. I feel like Pixar movies... Often have a similar sensibility, not in a bad way, but, um, and, and again, like the design, this one feels like a part of that world, but I guess like Miguel and his family, it feels pretty different from the rest of the Pixar family to me, and like the, the, the humor feels a little bit stranger, and like, I don't know, there's, there's just a lot of distinctive stuff to it. I also was thinking it's maybe, the only pixar movie maybe brave would be another but i feel like it's maybe the only one i could picture working as a live action movie with like a ton of effects and stuff and i'm glad it's not um but it has kind of a more rooted like fantasy movie feel as opposed to the it's less cartoony in certain ways um it just has a different personality
3: Yeah, yeah Although, one thing that I love and that I don't know if you could get away with in as well live action is, like, going back to the bodies and the design and the humor. Like, I just love the the skeleton bodies and that we continue to, like... Discover all the different types of things that they can <laughs> yes, do, yes. Uh, which is really fun. Like um, that, it that it all feels like it's building on itself um, and like yeah. improvising in ways that I feel like feels like really fresh um, and like serves the story and like their own jokes, yeah, which yeah. is fun. I
2: liked how character-based that was too. Yeah. Like Hector was a character who was continually inventing new ways of using his body yeah. to solve problems and yeah. I, I loved that that yeah that that was a part of the world at large but it was also so rooted in individual characters and their own inventiveness as yeah. as unique personalities yeah. Totally. Yeah, I I agree with both of you. I think that the the
1: skeletons are are what makes this movie thrive in in animation and and makes it so wonderful the, the 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 way the bones like just fall apart and come back together and and everything and that's a real like i remember they talked about this at uh, at the press event at pixar is normally a, a computer animated character is like you model it It, it's like a it's like a single you know like cohesive object that you manipulate and so like a lot of the this character is made up of like bones that don't always touch you know that kind of just hover near each other and then they fall apart and come back together like it must have just been a Nightmare to actually do this, but it's so fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess nightmare. It's so, it's so appealing. But but I think along going along with what you said, Davey about it feeling grounded is it's a very human film. Like I feel like it's 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 a really and, and a lot of Pixar films I think achieve this, um, but maybe on a more metaphorical level. Whereas this one, along with like I think Ratatouille as well, is just in very invested in like human concerns and and. Yeah, and in their complexities too, like relationships that are sometimes complicated, and like family dynamics that can be challenging, and things like that. That, and murder,
2: right? There's like there's just a straight up murder in this movie. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, and yeah, I really liked that. Like it, yeah, just again felt like a different. It felt like it got to be the movie that it wanted to be, rather than feeling like anything had been sort of trimmed off or sanded around the edges to fit some kind of Pixar mold, um, which is great.
3: Yeah, I feel like I was really excited to see. I So I didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't watch any previews. I just didn't. Uh, know anything about it? Yeah. Um, and I, so I loved that it was uh, Day of the Dead. Yeah. Like that was really exciting to me. Um. I. I so I lost my great uncle this year, and that has been a like a pretty big loss for me. Um. Uh. He, you know. He's. He's like more like a grandpa yeah. than a great uncle. Yeah. Um. And like one of my heroes. Um. And so like. He, like, he died close to Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. So, I don't know. It feels, like, really personally meaningful to me. And I think, like, lovely probably in general.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I
1: think this might sort of conclude segment one of this. But I want to know if there's any other kind of thoughts
2: we definitely want to talk about the movie. As we were coming out here to record this, I was thinking about... Um, I, was, I was sort of contextualizing this movie in the Pixar pantheon I guess and trying to think you know like how do I feel about it in uh, compared to all the other Pixar movies and and it does to me feel like so much its own movie that it's hard for me to say like it's my favorite or it's my this favorite or that favorite but I was thinking about meaningful Pixar experiences that I'd had And one of them was when we saw Inside Out together. Um, And another one of them was the first time I saw Toy Story when I was, what, seven, I think. Um, Was like a huge movie that I was really, really looking forward to. And the first time we saw it, it came out Thanksgiving. And my grandma was visiting us from Washington. and, uh, And we all went to it together. And it was a really meaningful family bonding experience where all of us really... Loved that movie, and uh, and it was um, I don't know. This was a really emotional movie for me Uh uh, because my grandma's getting pretty old, and uh, and I don't get to see her very much. And that was um, that was a meaningful connection to to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: lovely. I, I think the way that the Coco character is designed um, allows for this really, really beautiful moment at the toward the end, where the, there's the memory of her father kind of comes back and stuff. But the way that her, the actual like model of her character is allowed to be like have so many wrinkles. There, there, like there are so many parts of her face. <laughs> like there's so many moving parts of her face that. Holy cow that is one of the most like emotional and, and emotive um, like bits of acting in in a Pixar movie the the, the, the both the technical I mean that's that's a really a moment I think that requires technical prowess but also like the artistry as well of, of acting and,
2: and performance it's it's a really beautiful beautiful scene yeah yeah I feel like Coco the character is one of my favorite characters visually in any Pixar, in any computer animated movie, um, I've just, like, I've never seen a character that looks like that in a, in an animated movie, in a computer animated movie specifically, and it was, she was so beautiful, (laughs) like, it was such a cool character, and, and yeah, like you say, like, the performance is so, um, even even before that sort of climactic moment at the end, like all throughout, she's so emotive, and yes. uh, like it's. I don't know. You don't see you don't see a lot of old people in movies generally, um, and I feel like that was a really powerful uh, depiction of someone who is old and losing their memories and. Uh, losing their grip on a lot of things. I feel like I can't think of a lot of movies where I've seen that depicted so well. Gosh.
1: Thank you both for sharing, opening your heart and and sharing those wonderful thoughts. Is there anything else that you want to mention before we go on to this next segment?
2: Something something I really like about the movie that I feel like is very uh, optimistic and feels... uh, true in my life experience is I like that it while it's about that tension between um, pursuing a career and a career in the arts and being there for your family, I like that it like ultimately affirms that the sensibility of feeling like you have to do whatever it takes at all costs to succeed like is kind of a house of cards philosophy that it, like at some point that's gonna fall apart, yeah. and what what is ultimately meaningful is when like when your work is about connecting with the, the people that you care about and uh and I liked that um yeah, I don't know like i I feel like it would be easy to make that. A very straw man thing, and they do a little bit. I mean like the villain is yeah. m- is pretty, pretty villainous but, yeah. uh, but it also feels very much like the movie understands where he's coming from to me mm-hmm. like it feels like I don't know maybe I'm just projecting onto it, but I feel like feels to me like anyone in movies is gonna understand <laughs> that uh, that feeling, and it feels to me like the movie really gets that sense of desperation and sort of uh selfishness um and I really appreciated that because I feel like without that the movie would have felt a bit empty and hollow and and two-dimensional and it really doesn't I don't think um I just think it's a very rich understanding human movie like you said and I think that that's its real strength
3: Because i i mean, because even the villain, like we feel empathetic towards, yeah, like yeah. even though we see that he's not smart, like or that he, like that hot he, mic, right, he's taken
1: down by a hot mic, <laughs>
3: yeah, um, like like we see the huge flaws in where he's coming from, like like we also see what is appealing about that, yeah, um, yeah.
2: And yeah. I thought that was kind of nice to see in a movie at a you know this specific time in the movie industry Uh when like when I feel like the whole I don't know there are all kinds of conversations going on about people doing all kinds of awful things to further their own selfish interests in, uh, in that world and and I, I felt like this movie felt like it um, was a useful, constructive uh, conversation around those ideas to me. Okay. Davy Morrison-Dillard, Bianca Morrison-Dillard,
1: thank you so much for joining the Pixar podcast. Um, do you want to plug anything, anything you want to point people to?
3: Um, you can always watch Adam and Eve. Right now it's on Amazon Prime, so we get like a dime every time you watch it so feel free
1: just play it just uh, put it on and leave it on and just like put it on repeat and yeah Yeah.
3: load up
2: those dimes in the (laughs) Morrison dillard household that's right
3: (laughs) or well really into making more adam and eve (laughs) so
2: yeah (laughs) Yeah. which we're finishing up right now and uh people can also support us on patreon.com slash adam and eve so
1: and yeah, yeah, and you can see uh, what's like the actual like just the main website for Adam and Eve, and this is a web series that you that you made. First season's there. I worked on the second season a little bit, helped yeah. with sound. That's right. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to see the second season. And uh, yeah, what where's like the main website for that? That's AdamandEveSeries.com. Okay, cool, great. Well, thanks again. This was fun.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thank Derek. you,
1: Derek. And I'm now joined by a very special guest, Robbie Pierce. Would you introduce yourself for us?
4: Hi, I'm Robbie. Um, I am thrilled to be joining you today. I live in Los Angeles. Nice. And I had the chance to see Coco in advance, and I love it. And about me, I'm a... Yeah, I'm a... Well my credentials here i think is that i am latino i have (laughs) a latina my my abuelita my grandmother yeah um and so that made this movie feel really personal to me, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Awesome. Well,
1: I definitely want to get into that, but your credentials go beyond just that as well. (laughs) I love following all of you. I mean, Robbie and I have been friends, listeners for a long time, and Robbie, I love just like all your thoughts about film and stuff. I love your your film list that you do at the end of the year, and I I just, I love all your commentaries. Sometimes you have rather controversial opinions about movies, at least it seems like that. Is that, would you say that's fair? I think that's true, yeah. Uh, you have good taste in other words I, well thank you <laughs> first tell me how did you how did you see an advance um screening how did that come about because you saw it like a while ago <laughs> yeah
4: we were we saw one of the first screenings that was not in mexico <laughs> yeah because wow. in mexico it's already in wide release yeah
1: that's awesome i love that it was op- that it opened in mexico first i do
4: too <laughs> yeah so my friend lauren is. A member of a guild or something and she gets screenings yeah so i've this was my second one i've seen with her and i was so happy she reached out to me i had been happy for that this movie was coming out and i thought it looked cute um and i didn't even realize before the screening that of coco
1: that it's all um latinos in the cast yes which is incredible. Yes, at Pixar at, the, at a press event, they they pointed out because John Ratzenberger is always in these movies, so they're like, oh, oh. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like all Latino and John Ratzenberger. <laughs> I know. I went, I wondered. I was like, this going to be in it? I couldn't. I couldn't he hear is. him though. I I know he is in it, but I don't actually know where what yeah. character he plays.
4: I didn't notice it. I know he plays a guard. Cause I saw him, I saw his name in the closing credits and I was like, oh yeah, he was in there.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Nice. What do you think that does? Because it's, 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 it's a voice, you know, their voices. So like what, what value of what value is it that it's, you know? Well, I think that
4: so much of culture is our voice. You know, we talk about like when we use the word voice, it's not, we use it to mean like our perspective even like Mm. that's such a conflated idea in our minds and i think that it's our language i think that it's super important to hear these accents on these characters you know and know that they're real yeah. <clears throat> you look at um disney's history of latino characters <laughs> And it's it's problematic. Yeah. Like it really is.
1: Point some out. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of I know that like there's the three caballeros, right? From like the yes, 30s. two of the three
4: caballeros are Latino. Okay. There's a Brazilian and a Mexican.
1: Okay. And Donald Duck is the third, is that right? And Donald Duck <laughs> okay. is the third. There's
4: Pachito and there's Jose Carioca.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Um so you've got those guys, which that was a that was a thing in Hollywood in the 1940s where a lot of our movie stars were going to war, and Mexico and Latin America were not involved in World War II, and so Hollywood started. And and they were also not able to um, distribute films in like Europe anymore, so they were being hurt financially. And so Hollywood made these deals with Latin American countries where they were bringing in. Um, you know, Cesar Romero, who was famously the Joker in the old Batman TV show, he was – before that, he was a romantic movie star <clears throat> from that period. He was Cuban, and they, they brought him over. So so that's what um, Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros came from. That wow. was – Disney was able to ship movies to Latin America, Um so they wanted to make latin american themed movies so we do have that those two examples that were pretty good for their time okay but since then you know there's been um there's a chihuahua in lady in the tramp yes that has three lines and it's super racist (laughs) and he's voiced by a white person and he sounds like speedy gonzalez right i think and um cheech marin did a voice of one of the of Bonsai the hyena in The Lion King, which is a a Latino character. He also is the Chihuahua in (laughs) Oliver and Company. Oh, yeah. So that's our first example of a Latino character voiced by a Latino actor yeah. since World War II but, yeah, in a Disney movie.
1: But still a little bit worrisome in their in the portrayal of sure. stereotypes. Yes, definitely. Is that is yeah that, yeah. I mean
4: Chishmarin's comedy comes from the stereotypes of Latinos. Yeah. I think he's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and in a way he's pointing at that stereotype, but
1: I don't know if any of that comes through when in, he does it in a Disney in, film. Yeah, right. And he's been in you know. Pixar, he's I think he's in Coco too, right? I think he has a role in Coco. Um, I think gonna, I think you're right I'm yeah. gonna double check um, but he's, yeah <laughs> he's been in a couple um, other Pixar films he was in the Cars films as well
4: yeah and so then we've got um, you know there was a Latina car in Cars 3 there was um, Treasure Planet okay I think had Latina, it, it's either that or Atlantis. Okay, <laughs> I confuse those two. But yeah. one of them had a Latina mechanic named Aubrey. Okay, and she was a pretty, she was a very positive character. And then other than that, you've got like, um, the llamas in uh, Emperor's New Groove, <laughs> right? Who are pre-Columbian <laughs> South American characters, none of whom are voiced by Latinos,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. So, you've got John Goodman. You've got you've got David Spade.
4: Right, and you've got um, another classic Batman villain. What's her name? Um,
1: oh, Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. Yes. Who
4: is? Who is native and black?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really interesting. I'm thinking a lot about what you just said about how we use the word "voice" to describe to describe somebody's perspective, and how yeah. the voice of a person really matters. That's that's a really interesting thought to me. Mm -hmm. it's super,
4: it's super big. And from the first moment of this film, the first moment you hear that little boy's voice, it sounds so authentic, so exciting. Um, It's just, it's nothing you've ever heard before. You know, Disney's ethnic characters have always like their little kids have always just sounded like white people. You look at the jungle book, you know, and how refreshing it was to have an actual, Indian actor in this live action remake. And so to hear a little boy with that little like Latin American accent where you can hear the tinges of it, it's, it's just remarkable. And then to have them singing and using the Spanish, like they do, like you just, there's a flavor there that you can't get with someone pretending.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what, what else uh, stood out to you, Robbie, about this, this film? um
4: what else stood out to me about this film i really so you know a plus to me is just a hundred percent there are many there are many pixar movies that i would not change a thing and i put this one right up there but for me this is my favorite pixar movie it's shown it showed me something i've never seen on screen before which is just this love of mexican culture you know if if it weren't for for that bias i guess that i have that i just really loved seeing that i would put it at tide with inside out and toy story 3 and all these other movies but for me this one just hit me on such a personal level
1: yeah
4: it reminded me thematically of kubo and the two strings Mm -hmm. which was one of my favorite movies last year yeah that
1: was a good movie
4: Uh uh-huh and same story a little boy Discovers that he's related to the characters he's traveling with. Yeah. Finds that he keeps them alive by telling their stories and through his art. Yeah. Um, the difference being that Kubo, while it was um, kind of riffing off of
1: Asian culture, it cast all white people. Yes, again, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, so at least their own. <laughs> right, and they do an excellent job, and I loved the film. This movie. Um, although it's made by a giant corporation in America, it really felt like it was coming from the culture that it was portraying and the casting and the, the writing are integral in that feeling coming across.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I mean, and Lee Unkrich obviously uh, directed it, who is not Hispanic, but um, Adrian Molina is the co-director and mm-hmm. uh, screenplay writer, along right. with uh, Matthew Aldridge. So not only, as you say, the voice cast um, Hispanic, but but also um, the co-director and the writer. Right, right,
4: and so that's nice. I feel like they did a good job in that direction with Moana.
1: Uh huh. Disney did. Yeah. Um, I, I saw similar Moana themes as well. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Like the, um, and, and again, a, a similar approach. Di- Disney Animation, in that case, um, formed this like team of cultural consultants for, the, they call right. it like, the Oceanic Cultural, like, team. And they did a similar yeah. thing, uh, with a Mexican team, um, for, for Coco. And, and right. you know, that kind of process, I think, mm-hmm. could have the potential to, um, I don't know, like sterilize a film or like, you know, when when you start having so many hands involved, it, it might, um, there's, there's danger there. And like, and yet I feel like Coco, and I also felt this way about Moana, um, feel it, Coco really feels like a pure thing. Like it, 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 it feels right. like a story that exists kind of in reality. It doesn't even, it doesn't feel like this thing made by committee, right? You know?
4: Yeah, made by committee is interesting because there's all this talk in Hollywood of auteurs and, you know, this single vision of one man. And I don't think that that is necessarily, in fact, I think that is not the best approach to filmmaking. Sure, you can get some great films that way, but we're going to keep hearing from the same people. Right. The people who have the connections and the money to make a film like that. And so I think a film by committee is problematic if your committee is all the same point of view. But otherwise, I think it's good to bring in the committee if you're going to bring in
1: a panoply of voices. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe film by community is a, is a nicer nicer I'm, way yeah. of approaching that.
4: <laughs> yeah, it is. And so, so yeah, I feel... I feel very proud of this now. I also, I should say, I would love to just rave about this movie um, independent of like the sociological under underpinnings of it. Yeah, Like it's just so funny and it is so emotional and it is the, the plot makes so much sense and yet it still surprises you. Yeah, I just loved it just on every level. There's, I, the music is breathtaking, like you said. The, um, the soundtrack is coming out, and will be out by the time anyone hears this. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear it again. I live, like I said, in Los Angeles, and I keep thinking about the fact that Coco is playing down in Mexico in
1: wide release. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like a couple hours drive
4: from there, and I'm like,
1: wouldn't that be the craziest road trip? <laughs> that sounds so fun. Well, I'm I in know. Texas now. Maybe yeah. I wonder. I wonder. I should look up and I see know. where. <laughs>
4: But that's how much I love this movie. I just, yeah. I mean, my goddaughters, I'm like, as soon as it comes out, we're. I'm taking you. Yeah. I'm taking any child that comes in my orbit.
1: Are, <laughs> I just think it's so good. Yeah. Are there particular scenes or particular moments um, or particular jokes that really stood out? We've, we've already talked about the bell. Um, the bell was
4: amazing. <laughs> um, the, the scene where Frida Kahlo is doing her, her she's like planning her show. With the guava, <laughs> yes. That scene just goes straight for the absurd. It, it reminds does. me of uh, the, the little postmodern scene in the middle the, of the
1: abstract scene. Inside yeah, out. and Inside Out. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
4: where it's just really laughing at art itself. Yeah, and yeah, In such a loving way. And I loved that.
1: Yeah, I also loved this the song "Un Poco Loco." Oh, I know that kid's voice. Oh, it's He's amazing. Crazy.
2: What color is the sky? Ay mi amor, ay mi amor You tell me that it's red Ay mi amor, ay mi amor Where should I put my shoes? Ay mi amor, ay mi amor You say put them on your head Ay mi amor, ay mi amor You make me un poco loco Un poquititito loco The way you keep me guessing I'm nodding and I'm I'll count it as a blessing That I'm only un
1: yeah, that's a scene that works on so many levels because just the song yes. itself is is really good, um, but it's also a really great dramatic moment of the of the yes. film, um, and it's also great because we music. don't know yeah. at that point if he can see. Yeah, yeah yeah you know, here's like his chance. Gone either <laughs> yes, way. exactly yeah i mean we've seen him we've seen him um perform by himself but this is the first right. time that he's ever performed in front of other people and you know it's yeah. <laughs> a big difference so there
4: was really a part of me that thought maybe he's gonna be off. yeah <laughs> i could see i could see pixar like drawing a lesson <laughs> out of that too
1: don't so. don't so do scary really things yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, that was a, um, i just I love that song, and and I love "Remember Me." I mean, you, we hear the song "Remember." That's kind of it seems like it's the big, uh, song that they're gonna be pushing for Oscar, Oscars and stuff. Well, and Lin Manuel Miranda, wrote it. or it was it was uh, Kristen Anderson right? Lopez and Robert Lopez. Oh no, it was
4: Lopez. Yeah, yeah.
1: So the, the I think it was one of those. Yeah, one of those <laughs> Yeah. <recent Disney> <laughs> yeah, yes, Did, the, the Frozen, the Frozen one, not the Moana one. Right, but um, "Remember Me" is is a really good song because when we first see it in that really flashy Ernesto de la Cruz mm-hmm. version, it like really works. But then mm-hmm. when you, and you can, the lyrics at that point are like, okay, this is going to have thematic tie-ins you can tell, Right, it, but you can but feel that coming. coming. But then when you actually do hear the different versions and then of course yes. that, All went, three times. yes. At the, at the end, when, you know, he sings it to, to Abuelita Coco. Oh, mm. <sighs> gosh, what a powerful scene.
0: Remember me Though I have to say goodbye Remember me Don't let it make you cry For even if I'm far away I hold you in my heart I sing a secret song to you each night both
4: times abuelita or both times Coco joins in. Yeah, just tear your heart out. Yeah, it is. It is so good. Yeah. Remember
0: me each time you hear a sad guitar.
4: And it's interesting. Well, like you said, like at first there's all these like flamenco dancers all around him, he's yeah. like, singing it on a stage, and it's so flashy. And. That is really, you know, as far as the artistic side of things, that's very much the theme of this. Like, he, the villain of the film is using his talent to pursue fame. Yeah. And when you find out that that song is really for a little girl, yeah. which this is the true story behind um, what's that Casey and JoJo song? Oh, I don't know. Um, All my life. Okay. I prayed for someone like you. That there's this 90s song that is apparently they wrote it for like one of their, for a little baby. Yeah. A baby girl. And Uh it got turned like whoever made the video turned it into this like sexual thing.
1: Yeah.
3: And they were
4: so mad about it. Yeah. So that's that's really real. I don't know how many other people are going to think Casey and Jojo when they watch (laughs) Coco. But, um, but yeah, I thought that, that, like you said, the, um, the ambidextrous manner of those lyrics, yes. the fact that it could uh-huh. be played either
1: way yeah. is really nice. Yeah, it's really, really clever. Um, and it, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a good song. Um, I also think – so if we're looking at this movie through a kind of race theory lens and, and looking at it, uh-huh. it um, that the notion that the villain is stealing the work of um, you know another artist – that yes. is something that has happened throughout American history a lot. A lot of oh, white yeah. people have taken, you know, the songs of people of color and and ex- just stolen them, basically. Oh, you yeah. know, there's that whole sequence in Dreamgirls or, that you can see. <laughs> right. It's the story um, of
4: cultural appropriation. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't choose to make it about race explicitly yeah. in the film. You know, they're both Mexican, but they... But they
1: were able to point out how wrong that is. Exactly. Yes. Which is really nice. It is. It's. It's a. It just. It's one of the most. It's one of the ways in which this movie is is deep. It's as deep as it needs to be. Like that's the thing. If, I know. if, if it weren't this good, it could be really mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> you know. It really <laughs> like, could. There's. There's kind of. There's kind of a. Um. A, it's a really tricky line to walk. Like if you're going to be in these waters of like culture and asking cultural questions and. Uh, making cultural observations and and stuff um you, you better you better go deep on it because if not if, right. you know if you know if you do this lightly or half-heartedly it could come off you end up with speedy gonzalez exactly yeah, yeah. exactly and, this and is just i really so think, rich.
4: um yeah i think that you're right the more i think about this movie and the more i mind what it's talking about and what it's saying The more I see that each part of the movie supports all the other parts, the more you see that they did their homework and they really are being very sensitive to their messaging.
1: Well, I think that just about um, just about does it, Robbie Pierce. It's been really fun talking to you a- about this. Thank you so much for coming on the Pixar for podcast.
4: Me. I, this is the best thing. I've been so excited about it since you asked me. So yeah, thank well, you.
1: Well, good. Um, and so, tell people like more about you. Um, what is the name of that comedy duo that you're a part of?
4: So we're the Corduroy Commandos. Okay. Um, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, I'm Robbie Pierce on Twitter. Uh, yeah those are the best ways to find me okay
1: um, the is there a particular um, video that you would for a starters if people are wanting to get on the the CC train <laughs> or the C? Um, <laughs> yeah
4: maybe we have a video about uh chick-fil-a that you could check out okay that gives you a little bit of my uh irreverent. Uh, satire that I like to put out in the world <laughs> nice
1: <so>. awesome <laughs> cool yeah. well, again Robbie Pierce thank you very much for coming on it, yeah it was, it was enjoyable to talk to you
4: thank you Derek always a pleasure
3: remember me though I have to say goodbye remember me
1: Don't let I want to thank our guests this episode Davey Morrison Dillard Bianca Morrison Dillard and Robbie Pierce before we part today, I have just one more thing to say, and that is a word on my new podcast. It's called Mosaic. You can go to mosaicpodcast.com and follow Mosaic Podcast on Twitter to get all the details about this new show. But I hope some listeners of the Pixar podcast will want to check it out. There will be plenty of as yet unreleased Pixar-related material that will find a home there. Here's the trailer for season one. This is
0: mosaic.
1: Mosaic.
0: This is mosaic. Mosaic.
1: Dan, this uh, this week Russell Nelson became the prophet of the church, mm-hmm. uh, um, and he after in November 2015 when policy came out excluding gay families and, and children of gay gay couples from. Uh, full participation in Mormonism. Um, Russell Nelson was the apostle that came out and defined that policy as revelation and said this was the will of God. What, as he is now the prophet of the church, what are you hoping um, under his leadership that you know, for, the, for the future of the church? I'm hoping for some serious change. I think uh, I wouldn't be the only Mormon who would say that. I think there's a lot of Mormons who are hoping for change. I think it needs to happen. I think every day that goes by is a tragedy. Coming May 1st, Mosaic, a new podcast from me, Derek Clements. Over the past eight years or so, I've collected stories of all kinds and interviewed some really interesting people. I created the Pixar podcast and the live storytelling show The Porch. I was an intern on the public radio show Radio Lab, and I've worked as an entertainment reporter at a daily newspaper. Over my career so far, I've built a pretty sizable archive of interviews and stories. Hi, I'm Derek. Many of which have never been released. I also have a lot of new stories I want to tell and people I want to talk to. So I'm combining all my interests, everything from entertainment and popular culture to faith and religion, and making this new show. Each episode will be a mosaic of different pieces of sound that together... Add up to a single coherent and complicated full picture. Like, for example, a story about a rock star challenging his church's policies in the form of a concert.
2: There were uh, representatives from the church there watching, and we got nothing but positive feedback because that space was safe, it was comfortable. and it was a, a place of love.
1: It was um, radical in a way though, right?
2: Yeah, it, it was amazing to look out and see a very conservative Mormon family with like, their kids next to a uh, very flamboyant trans woman. And they're together, and they're jumping up and down to music. And they're happy, and they feel safe, and, they, and they, there's love. It, 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 radical, exactly
1: or an insider look behind the scenes at the making of the Pixar film, Coco.
0: We had a series of screenings where we brought in um, cultural advisors from Los Angeles and you know, different places around the country, um, some pretty uh, important figures in the Latino community, and uh, and let them into the tent, as it were, to see what we were up to. And um, some of them were very wary about what we were doing, and... and We made some big changes in the story based on the input that we got
1: from the advisors. You'll hear artists and storytellers you may already know, and I'll introduce you to some new voices that you will be glad to hear for the first time. None of us were dying to be a part of Hamilton because... Uh, we thought it was going to get us Tony Awards. You know, it was just, we wanted to be a part of it because it made me feel like Rent made me feel. And so we're that, following that feeling.
0: I'm from Texas. Yeah. I'm from South Texas. And you know, it's like, I tell everybody all the time that I didn't grow up with a lot of money and um, you know in my neighborhood nobody really ever told you that you could chase your dreams because everybody was too busy trying to get by and I think that sometimes kids need to hear that they matter and that they're powerful and that they can do things and for me. This story was just so perfect, I, I related, to, you know, obviously they, they took a lot of my life story and put her into Cruise, yeah. so we're the same character, and I thought, kids need to see this, they yeah. should see, they should be able to see someone like them on screen.
1: And I w- ran to my parents, like, really distressed, I'm like, there are people drinking coffee here, like, probably keep your wallet in the front pocket, uh, <laughs> can never be too safe. My parents were like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's okay if other people do. It's just not for you. I'm like, but they don't get to go to heaven. I'm like, well, no, they don't. But... <laughs> and that's the understanding that I grew up with. And every now and then, you may hear something from the archives that goes back to before I started working.
3: Hello? Hello? Uh, hello, is Mr. Stevenson uh-huh. there? Hello? Hello? Oh, hello, George. Yes, sir. This is George speaking. Hello? Who's this? What number am I calling, please?
1: Way before I started working. The first season of Mosaic will kick off with weekly episodes starting Tuesday, May 1st. In the meantime, you can follow Mosaic Podcast on Twitter and visit mosaicpodcast.com for full details and to learn how you can support the show. You can subscribe right now in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do that, the first episode will arrive magically in your feed as soon as it is available on May 1st. See you then. So that is my new show, Mosaic. Again, i love it if you checked it out. Listeners, thank you so much again for going on this 143 episode journey with me. I can't wait for what's ahead, and I'm filled with gratitude for what's come so far. Keep in touch with me. I'm at Derrific on Twitter. You can follow all my work at DerekClements.com. Whew, this has been quite a sizable episode here. Lots to do, but I think we did it. And it's safe to say that you are now caught up on all Pixar podcast-related news, so you can get back to the rest of your life. So long, partners. So long.
3: Okay, Squirt here will now give you a rundown of proper exiting technique! Mom. It's just a boom. Don't let it happen again. Yes, well, uh, I'll try to be less careless.
1: It's got this kind of green mm, melty, it's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain oh, it, it's kind of like a <laughs> it's got like this SAP kind of taste. Don't you think? What, what would you call that flavor?
0: Lightning?
3: Don't look at the light! I can't help it! It's so beautiful! <laughs> My name is
1: Doug.
2: I have just met you, and I love you. Gone! <gasps> it's again. Oh, it's gone. Bye-bye. Who's here?
3: Thank you for listening to the Pixar podcast. But I but I felt like um I didn't know uh... So they sort of how I don't I've never listened to your podcast. How much do we talk? Give away? A, oh, good question. Yeah, actually, let's just talk about everything. So, I'm a bad <laughs> That's
1: okay. It's only been a hundred and something. Else. <laughs> with several with your husband on it as well. <laughs>